Okay, here we go. Broadcasting live, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. With your hosts, Honest Abe and Adam K. the Brewmeister. Listen to the show anywhere in the free world at kmatalkradio.com. I like to smoke them like some rich churches. Good morning, loyal listeners, libertarians, lovers of the leaf, everyone out there in radio land. Welcome to another exciting edition of KMA Talk Radio. I am Adam K. the Brewmeister. We are here broadcasting live on this, the 18th day of January. <laughs> he almost lost it. <laughs> what? It was a elongated pause. Yeah. I was just making, uh, I'm getting it, making sure it's right. It's for and effect. This and the 365th. <laughs> Yeah. Episode of KMA Talk Radio. Wow. 365. Uh, with me, of course, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Honest Abe. Good morning. And, of course, Paul, the producer. Hi. Uh, also, sitting in with us today, our very special guest, uh, a man who needs no introduction, a, uh, the, I mean, how, how else do you say, but Lou Rothman himself. <laughs> Colin's excited. He always likes his oh. stories. It's going to be an interesting show today. Yeah. Got a lot to talk about, uh, a lot of stuff going on in the world of the cigar industry, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun things to say about that. Uh, Coop's going to call in a little later to give us some uh, interesting news, see what's going on there. At some point, but yeah. we're, we also we have, have another a, special guest. Oh, yes, we also are going to be joined <coughs> by uh, Scott Pierce, executive director of the what is now called the Premium Cigar Association. So we will actually get a rebuttal from him about everything we said last week and possibly things we're going to say during this show. And maybe get him to defend things. And well, there's nothing to defend. Goes. It is what it is, but we'd like to get his commentary. I mean, things yeah. have been evolving all week, so. Yeah, and I think it would be, I, I think he's he's doing a lot of press because it's good for for to put a face on the organization and, and kind of, mm. you know, um, corroborate their point and, and kind of get it out there. He was, he was all by the way, he was really excited to come on the show. He's a, he's actually a fan, it seems. Oh, he, well, there he's, uh, he knew who okay. you were. He knew what the show was. I didn't. Ha- there, it took no explanation. So, do you have a direct contact to him now? I do. It seems like you couldn't get a hold of him all week. Well, listen, it's not an easy organization to get a hold of, as you know. So, Especially phone numbers, Don's not there. Emails, I, I, nobody, everybody's email there says contact this person. So you contact that person. Even Coop's contact didn't work for me, so it was. Uh, it sounds like a government organization. It, it, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it's, well, they it's did special, move their offices to Washington a couple of years ago. So, yeah, but we we got in touch with them. So in a secret way, but it, it seemed to work. So I used some of my sales tactics. Nice. Yeah, I actually oh, wor- I actually worked for work, this one. Actually, uh, yeah. hey, hey, don't shuffle in that chair too much. We don't brilliant. want you to go down. I'm sorry. It's we not are, funny. We are. By the way, the video of you going down face flat was at Madison Square Garden. No. Where were you? That was a, um, so when I used to work at the Long Island Ducks, the, the baseball team, that was the 6,002-seat uh, stadium. That Brilliant. He's going up the steps in. of the stadium, what, falls flat in his face. Wait, what? Yeah, one of his buddies posted another poll, I can't stand Well, he was video. going to post it. He was threatening me that he was going to post oh, he it. did? No, I posted it. Oh, you did? You because oh, I, did. I wanted to be the one to post it. Oh, yeah, because that makes a difference. 
It does for me because at least I I have the control. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> can someone show me this video? We'll get I'll on, show get it on to the you. Facebook, and then you'll be able to see it like uh, the rest of the world. No. Yeah. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah, that was, and the funny thing is, I fell, and two days later, it was all over the Duck social media because some fan posted it. I oh, don't even know who the kid is. That's brilliant. <laughs> and it's and the title is Paul DeGracco busts ass. I, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I had nothing to do with it. There are a couple of videos and of me all, doing stupid things at the but, Ducks. But you know, the, what, my uh, favorite my favorite part of the video we posted this week was not the fall down as much as the second attempt to get in, dude. And the chair is still kicking your that ass. That chair is a mess. That's I, hilarious. You know, it's funny because I was buying new chairs for my office for my day job, and I asked Adam how he liked that chair, and he was like, stay away from it. Don't get that chair. I don't like it. And uh, <laughs> I didn't get that chair, and I see why now. It it literally has, there's no, like, center of gravity on it. It is for normal-sized people. Okay, dude. you got to be 48 inches or taller to I'm sit I'm 5'7", so it's not like I'm that short. I'm not, like... You know, a little person. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not. I think you're a very little person. I mean, I'm I'm a well, I'm not a slight man these days. <laughs> no, I'm a little. No. Oh, oh, which which pants brings, on, a, which brings up the weekly question: <laughs> Paul, are your pants currently buttoned? These jeans do fit me, so yes, they are buttoned. Uh, they are buttoned. You dressed up for a special guest today? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. obviously, I want to look good. Didn't want to Al Bundy the Today Show. <laughs> Hand down. I your... always have a belt on. If I if my pants listen. I'm sure there's listeners watching right now. Sometimes you get a little bit too chubby, okay, and so your pants don't fit well, so you listen, leave the button on top unbuttoned. I'm not going to lie, right? There are times like after a huge meal or a dinner at a restaurant on the drive home, I might unbutton the pants for the little breathing room on the drive but never at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> it means you're wearing you're, the wrong size yeah, pants. Yeah, it means you're wearing the wrong clothes. <laughs> I am. Did you I'm see the <laughs> cover of the New York Post today? No. Yes. Uh, they caught this ISIS guy. He's like 580 pounds. Wow. They had to take him to jail in a pickup truck. Oh, because he wouldn't fit in a car? Yeah, they had to load him into a pickup truck. What, 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 was his, what were they going to do? Drop him off like the Empire State Building and hope for a seismic event? No, they, you know, they caught him in Iraq. So it was really wow, wow. Go for the post. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that's going to be an interesting sell. Yeah. Hey, hey, I Adam, wonder how his cellmate's going to feel. Put that <laughs> mic closer to Lou. Yeah, Lou likes to lounge back. So That's like, fine. Yeah, it's, he can be comfortable. Just pull it right. Uh, yeah, there <laughs> Sorry, we were on a good. We were good in setup. Speaking of which, uh, Great Smoke is around the corner. I know. Wait. It's exciting. No, it's not. Lou, actually. are you coming to the it's Great actually, Smoke? Are you in town February 22nd? Yeah, I'll be here. Then you'll be. Come on by. Check it out. Okay. The last time you saw it, it was so much smaller. You haven't oh. been there in a long time. I feel uh, last, time, last time we were still doing it in the parking lot. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, no, we're at the South Florida Fairgrounds now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, we got another special guest for the Great Smoke, Lou Rothman. All right. But um, yeah, it's what four weeks away now, four or five weeks. Is your life completely you hell me? now? Um, I like, didn't leave the office till about eleven or midnight, probably three or four nights out of this last week. And is that all? great smoke stuff or are you catching up because, because during the day is great smoke day, i got stuff. a lot of other work to do right right so the peace of mind really where i can actually focus and do some work comes like after eight o'clock <laughs> right. when almost my administrative day staff is all gone and people aren't knocking on the door nobody's every calling, five minutes nobody's knocking on the door every five minutes and um and you know my assistant this year she's new so this is her first one and uh, we're four weeks out and she hasn't had a meltdown yet so that's a positive oh this sign. is her first one that's right this i didn't even one. 
Nike. I'll be honest. I noticed that she's been working hard because she's there when I come for the meetings. Usually, I know she usually has she a hard out. Eight till six. Yeah. Oh yeah, which you mean yeah. Well, it's that time. There's nobody. Nobody has hours. Now. But but yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's, she hours. was there last night for yeah. a while. Yeah. Nobody has hours anymore. It's insane. So and to boot, you know, we we amped it up this year. It's gonna be the first year. It's themed, so we got all this cool disco stuff going on and uniforms and roller girls and everything it's just oh, wait, insane uh, ro- roller girls yes will there be one posted at my table they're just gonna be all over the place huh. it's gonna be a very more lively charismatic event the band is a very well-known and renowned 10-piece band called, called studio 54 and a lot of the members actually played in studio 54 back in the day um i wonder if lars uh if lars Teton's ever saw them i don't know <laughs> But uh, it's going to be a pretty uh, fun event this year. Uh, we, I, it's getting more buzz than we've seen in any year, so we're expecting, honestly, the biggest turnout this year. A lot of people are talking about it on social media that are out of the state. I mean, I know you always have a lot of out-of-state yeah. people, but well, I've seen a lot of buzz about over it from out-of-state. Over the years, the event has, ten- has trended to a lot more out-of-state people now because I think the locals are just like, nah, I can't make it. I'll go next year. They're here. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Plus, here in South Florida... We're a little more cigar active than a lot of other parts of the country. There's other events right. you can go There's to. There's another little mini yeah. event in Miami. Uh, the, the Schenken does one uh, after ours in, uh, I think now it's in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, or it's the Hard the Rock. Hard, yeah. It's a Hard Rock now. This so, year, yeah. yeah, I wasn't going to mention the place, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, just um, give them free advertising. Yeah. So, <laughs> even though we're going we're to bash Schenken later, it's okay. <laughs> so... Um, you know, there's a lot more stuff for the guys here in South Florida. So the right. people in other parts of the country that aren't as you know lucky to be around the seismic activity of the cigar industry, it, it's attracting a lot more and more of those people, especially if you're in a bad weather state. You know, it's cold. This well, time right of year. now, yeah, up north, if you're in New York, Connecticut, yeah. Massachusetts, today you're getting hit by yeah. that big snowstorm so and twenty out, degrees. Getting out for three or four days into sunny Florida weather is another oh perk. no, I have to leave the snow yeah. for three or four days. That's oh, this crap. is when, and you know, being in the in the sales business, this is when all my clients, all our publishers, want to come down here. Like as soon as January hits, yeah. Yeah. everybody's like, "Hey, what are you doing this week? I'm I'm flying down. Really? I, this, I'm busy now trying to make sure my year goes okay. But yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun. I'm excited for it, man. I really am. I I love the great smoke. I love. Everything I'm, about it. I love I'm, seeing everybody. I'm excited for it to be over. Well, yes, very much so. <laughs> well, I mean, listen to me. You're just anti-people. It's different. Yes. No. <laughs> yes, you no, are. No, no, I literally, every year after the Great Smoke is over, go home and just lay on the floor for at least 45 minutes. I think last that year you were laying on beer. the floor at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Yes, I was. Left. I was. There is probably photos somewhere of me laying on the floor oh. just like, no, no, no. No, I'm there okay. was a moment last year at like maybe like 5.45 that Adam was like, all right, this thing's over, and I'm pretty sure the drinks were flowing. No, no, they were not. <laughs> not they at the not. end of it? All no. I know is he's super <laughs> excited about his new sequin shirt that he's asked to wear. <laughs> that I'm, I'm, ex- I'm expecting a new level of energy. Listen, it's a nice shirt. I I found it. I'm the one who found the shirts. It's it's literally like one size too small for him. I know. I saw it. And it doesn't sequin. fit well. Oh my god, it's gonna be classic. Adam, maybe hey. you should lose a couple pounds before. We, I mean, I'm just helping you out as a maybe friend. Maybe you should lose a couple of pounds. <laughs> I I mean, I need to lose a couple pounds. Oh, I anyway. thought you were waving. Regarding hand, oh, my hand stretching. Oh. Well, I mean, look. I think we should start getting to introduce our meet your maker because we got a. A lot of stuff to talk. About. Oh yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, are we even going to take any breaks today? I just no, I, I, I say we take no breaks today. I think all our 
sponsorships have passed out, so no one's going to miss out. Because well, they're, they're all watching now. Well, so I haven't many renewed people anybody. Watching. I haven't renewed anybody because we're going to the new studio. So as they've all been expiring, I've just been letting them all Oh, out. okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a special. It's, it's going to be a special. We might take a pee break halfway through. Yeah, I was going to say, we have to I've take drinking, some break. I've been drinking a lot of coffee, but other than that, man, I, I want to pack this show with Wait, a, you're a, drinking coffee now? I thought you only drank tea in the morning. We had this oh whole discussion about how you've been drinking tea gracious. now. I usually drink tea in the evenings, but no. Okay. But no, I, I've had, this cup is full of coffee like every show that I've been on. The, the, you, don't, you would the, see the, the man, bags. The man gets out. at least one to two coffees a day. But wait a second. So do you put water in that now? Because like, mine's my water cup. I never put coffee in it. This I just said like I, there's coffee in this every now morning. Now later, do you put water in it, I'm saying? Because you use that all day. No, later it goes in the home in the sink and gets okay. washed, and I drink water out of a glass. Something else. Yeah. Okay. I'm just I'm just checking. I have and a pet peeve. When I when I put coffee in something, I don't put I coffee like, in uh, it anymore. Colin, the more oh. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's, ro- let's roll into our meeting. <laughs> yeah. And now you know. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. It's time to meet your maker. K-Mate Talk Radio is pleased to welcome back uh, the legend himself, Mr. Lou Rothman, to the studios of KMA Talk Radio. Lou, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, if you do not know who Lou Rothman is, he is the founder of JR Cigars, uh, which was procured by what is now ITG, as we were saying earlier. As of last week, yes. As of last ITG, week. ITG, formerly Altidus USA. Ulti- formerly Altidus USA. And uh, the man who basically... Can you say you started the catalog business of cigars? Oh, I think he totally revolutionized the in, the whole landscape of the cigar industry. I think that is a... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, a guy named Marty Herbst was before me. Uh, okay, well... We he, ended up buying his company. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and before him, Joseph Jonas, who was Marty Herbst's father-in-law. But they he, didn't have catalogs. Uh, Joseph Jonas did, and he specialized in Cuban cigars. He was He was the biggest there was. In the world, right, and then okay. and then he had an argument with his son-in-law Marty Herbst. Marty left and started his own business. Wow, his son-in-law. Yeah, and then years later, uh, we went into the cigar into the mail order cigar business, and as we kept growing and he kept shrinking, we ended up buying Marty's. Uh, Marty's. What business. was it called? International cigar. International cigar. Oh. Wow, sounds familiar. Hmm. Internet. Okay. Yes. I wonder if Keith Myers knew that when he named his company. Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we got a the lot. Figures. Speaking of which, before we get into all the various topics and stuff, we want to talk about what are you up to these days? How how is retirement really treating you? I like it. It's 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 okay. Sometimes you uh, never get that little yeah it, that I, little itch. To... I do. I do, and I've had. It doesn't last long, I've right? had a number of people in the industry call me, especially when they found out that Altidus was for sale and JR was on the market. And uh, They wanted you to go back to JR? But, but, yeah, and a couple of bankers, too. Mm. Really? Yeah. But you're not really fully retired because you still have a stake in the Oliva yes. Tobacco Company. Not so. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. yeah in, in, you're in Nicaragua yeah. American Tobacco. Yeah. And but you're not involved in much of the day-to-day activity there. Um, no. But, right. But occasionally when there are price rises and everybody's afraid to go tell somebody about it, they'll, they'll have me go. <laughs> 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 I, 
And then I, I still do some stuff with Nestor Placencia, and I have some outstanding stuff still hanging uh, with Manuel Casada. So, so I'm not. Do you talk to Manolo a lot? To Manolo? Yeah. Uh, we texted back and forth a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. well, you know what? Maybe you can shed some insight on me. I don't know if you have insight that you can you can share, but what happened with that organization? Because I'm just going to tell you my perspective as a retailer and. You know, there's a little tangent story, but, mm. you know, something happened two or three years ago where the whole, the way the company worked, dealt with retailers, his, Terrence Riley leaving his nephew, everything. I, I don't know the company anymore. In fact, they've become like non-existent as far as sales and even our retail shelves. Mm. There was a, a pivotal change that happened there that I never really found a real story. What's going on? Uh, well, I, I I don't know either. Okay. I mean, you may not. I mean, I don't know. That cuts it off pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it's a personal matter. And so. But something happened. As far as something happened, it really changed the landscape of, of, uh, of, of them as a cigar I would assume, presence. I would assume so. We'll find yeah. out in 20 years when Terrence tells us. Right? Something happened. Yeah. Anyways, regardless of, of that... Um, so no 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 picking at the bait right a lot of people throwing bait at you no n- n- nothing going. Uh, no I mean you know uh, I had my career I, we made a lot of money I don't need any money you know? everybody else seems to want to jump back in mm-hmm. uh, they don't have they don't have lose money I guess <laughs> <laughs> well um, you know it's like where where am I going from here my kids are grown they all have their own houses. They've all gone to whatever schools they wanted to. Now I have grandkids. It's safe to say the grandkids don't have to worry either, probably. Well, probably not. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, now I have, I have a couple of hobbies. Uh, I've been doing a lot of woodworking. I've seen your woodwork. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. But I just bought a CNC, you know, computerized yeah. oh, router. Cool. You were showing me a lunch show yeah, a few weeks ago. This, this is the first one. This and company has ever installed it's in, not, someone, it's in not someone's like, home. Oh, is that your house? <laughs> yes. It's yeah. not a small piece. It's not like a... No, know, I've, seen, I've seen them. It's yeah. not like some industrial-grade like, machinery. So are right. you going yeah. to do like a KMA Talk Radio uh, bar that we can put Why in Why don't you the... be a producer and make yeah. it happen? Brilliant! Well, you know, if you're looking for a project, Lou, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> essentially with this machine, if you can draw it, I can make it. That's cool, yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. they're amazing machines. It's... it's, it's it's staggering. Is it difficult like, to operate? We made uh, we made some some drain covers. I have a very old house from turn of last century, and it has called Yankee gutters, which are flat. You know, they're not round. And mm-hmm. They don't make any kind of drain covers for these things, and so oh, I scheduled it out on the computer, and I bought uh, uh, eight foot long sheets of copper, and then I actually made 24 feet of drain covers, punching 4,320 holes. <laughs> oh, wow. While me and my wife were playing Scrabble. <laughs> so you I just like set it. it and then walk yeah, away. Yeah, you set it and go, and the machine does it all itself. <laughs> that and, is awesome. And, and who won the game of Scrabble, I have to ask? Uh, it's like 50-50. Oh, okay. 50-50. <laughs> yeah. well, I win 50%. And I don't and, lose the other 50. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's like 50. 50. I was going to say it's probably more like Lavanda wins 50% and lets you win 50%. Well, she's, she's a, a voracious reader. She knows a lot of words. That, you're a reader, too. That I don't know. Not like her. Okay. Because oh, I know okay. you're a reader. Yeah, yeah. sci- sci-fi, too. You like I mean, sci-fi. I guarantee you at this moment, Lavanda is still reading the New York Times, including 
everything that's in the paper, wow. the obituaries, whatever it is. Really? And the Saturday, the Saturday big, you get a big package on Saturdays too. New York Times Magazine and stuff. Yeah, she she reads every section. I mean, it's just incredible. Wow. Wow. Okay. Then she does all the crossword puzzles. Wow. <laughs> I can't do them. I mean, I can only Mondays. If a lot of the letters are filled in already. You know, then I could like <laughs> guess what the rest of it is. I just want to let our fans out there know that um, I know we're probably gonna have a lot of questions with Lou and uh, Scott Pierce being on today. Uh, AJ smokes in the house. He's gonna keep his eye on the uh, Facebook page. If you want, just hashtag something ask KMA, and we will try to get the question on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, the first topic I want to breach with you is obviously, you know, if we're going in somewhat chronological order, is Tobacco 21. Now, obviously, uh, you've been around long enough. You've seen ages change, legal ages change, and everybody seemed to be a little hot on this topic, and there's been a lot of kind of different positions on it. What's your take on the Tobacco 21? It's absurd. I mean, if you can go and get killed in, in, in a foreign country surfing this country, and you still can't. You can't buy a pack of cigarettes? It is absurd. I mean, it's the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, ridiculous. One of, one of my arguments has been is, look, I, 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 I've had a, I had a big problem with the hypocrisy of Tobacco 21. I, but I think if they just moved everything to 21, getting married, drinking, smoking. Yeah, bar mitzvah. Serving in the military. <laughs> serving in the military. We didn't bring that up last week. That's true. 13, you're a man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> I think the I think the eighteen year old today, when laws were being set, it was it was a different time back then. At eighteen, you were already a thirty year life was. Uh, Let me tell you something. I have a thirteen year old grandson that is smarter right now than I was at thirty. I mean, they have so much information coming to them through all the various internet and TV and whatnot. You know, I get that, Lou, because I got four young kids. Right, my kids are that age, eleven. They have a lot of information, but here's the difference, right? They've, they're going to be subject to a generation that hasn't learned how to filter information. You know, I, I'm constantly trying to teach my kids that all this data they hear, whether it be at school or whatever, because now even teachers in the classroom are are exposing children to public, personal, political opinions and, and what's going on. And they haven't developed a filter to realize that everything they hear isn't exactly the truth. There's a different perspective on any topic, and I think that's also a problem. You're right. There is information overloaded, kids, but they, have, they haven't developed a mature skill set to, to have any kinds of filters yet. And that's a constant battle. You don't think that's a problem? <laughs> it's not a question of whether they've developed a skill set or not. The fact is, if you can go to war and either kill or be killed, you should have a right to decide that I want to smoke a pack of cigarettes. I, you know, I never smoked cigarettes till I was in the Marine Corps. And when I was in the Marine Corps, with every, with every lunch, they gave you a little four-pack of cigarettes. Lucky old, Strike? No, uh, Yeah, Old Gold, Lucky Strike, <laughs> yeah. Piedmont, and Chesterfield. Wow. So, I, Chesterfield. I did not know that. That's cigarettes, a bit I didn't cigarettes know. Cigarettes were, were government-issued. So because you needed them. Yeah, I, I wasn't a smoker, you know, but... You, Every every single meal, I got four cigarettes. Eventually, I started smoking them. Right. <laughs> and I, I got so many of these, I better use and them. And I still am. <laughs> but if, if people could sue the government, which you can't, there's probably millions of people like me who who never would have started smoking if the government hadn't given them all them cigarettes. Huh. Right. But but do you, do you think that... But I agree with the validity of, you know, look, 
you, you, I, I think they should just pick an age. Do you think you should be 21 to vote? I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think I, I don't think 18 year olds. I have even seen what the world, what's out there in the world to start making decisions of who should be the world leader. Listen, once again. Do you realize that at 21, half of the people who go, who go to college have already graduated from college at 21? Right. And you don't think that, you, you think that even though they've graduated from college, they shouldn't be able to vote because they haven't been, been, they're not old, they're not 21 yet? Okay, you, you, you're telling me half the people graduate in college in three years, four year a four year degree. Well, I don't of, know. I don't know that many twenty ones who graduated. A lot graduated. of people get through high school at sixteen or seventeen, and then they go to college. If you want, you go to summer school. You can get out in three years, uh-huh. or just go to a two year college. I still, if it just seems to me preposterous. It is preposterous. It, it is. It is very I, I lived in Kansas for a long time. You could drive a car there at fourteen. So you could drive a car at 14. I don't think that's still today. I'm pretty sure 16. It is. Somebody look it up. 15, 16. Even if it was 15 or 16 well, today. Well, 15, 16. 15 is your permit. 16 is a driver's license in still majority of the states, I believe. I think 16-year-old is the majority of the states well, currently. I, in, in the, in, at least in, from, in New York, I believe it's, it's definitely 16. You can get your permit. So, but you can't drive so alone. If you could drive a car at sixteen, you're telling me that you can't buy a package. You uh, that you can't. I, we. I mean, I, that was Abe's a, argument. He's like, but then make all of the things the same age. All of those things that the right. designate if my, you're an my, adult. My, my thing is, I just think they should just raise raise the legal age across oh. the board. Or Apparently lower it's still fourteen in Kansas. Oh, it is fourteen in Kansas. Yeah. Holy cow! Uh, so I'm if you can drive, you can drive a car, but you required. can't. Yeah. And you can probably get married at 14 there, too. (laughs) (laughs) Where are these sound effects coming from? Hey, Lou, AJ Smokes here. And I got to say, you know, I've had about five or six guys come in that were, you know, underage. Under 21. Under 21. Mm -hmm. I'd ask for their ID, and I apologize to them and say, I'm sorry, but the new age is now 21 and up. And I can't even begin to tell you every single one of them didn't have a clue. But the law, the law is you have, even though you have to be twenty one, you have to card them if they look like they're t- less 27. than twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and because all the companies are afraid of getting you know caught doing this, they card everybody. So when I go into Walgreens and I get a couple of bottles of wine for Lavanda, are you getting carded, Lou? I get. I have to show them identification, even though I'm seventy four. <laughs> But, well, one of our but you have to, residents you have is saying to do it's this 15. to protect the company. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, but he, what AJ's point is, there are retailers. I'm mm. pretty sure that still don't know the law has been changed. Oh, or, that's or, the fault of the government. Then. Or, yeah. or, or or here's 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 a general misconception was, a lot of people told them that this law was going into effect next year. They're all thinking. Well, this, they're all. I mean, they're all when this was passed. They're all thinking that. This is something that's going to go into effect later on this Somebody year. Somebody will let them know Absolutely. later. Not realizing that it went into effect the day the president signed the bill. The let me ask bill, you this question. Which was December 20th. What percentage of the people checking you out at Publix or super, any other supermarket, they themselves are not 21? Yeah, that's true. Well, you don't have to be 21 to be the clerk. Right? I mean, Absolutely I, I, you do. Hold and on. and oh. if you are not, 
when somebody comes with a pack of cigarettes to the counter and they you're have not to call 18, someone, right? you have to call someone yeah. I, I, to the register. I, I, I was going to say, I don't know how the law works in Florida, and I don't know how it works in tobacco, but I know for liquor, you don't have to be 21. Now, in, in Illinois, my 18-year-old cousin out of high school who decided not to go to college bought the local little corner store, liquor store. Yeah, we store. talked about that. He was 18 years old. He owned a business and sold liquor every day. I know a lot of bartenders here or servers in the state of Florida who are not 21 and, and, and work. So I don't know how it works. But well, let me ask you this Obviously, question. for liquor, it's not the same because you don't have to be of legal age to deal so with it. So now I'm asking you the question that you asked me. <laughs> so you have a relative that's 18 years old that's running the liquor store that you think shouldn't be able to vote. You no, know, you misunderstand. You, well, actually, ki- well, I mean, listen to me. Kind of. Yeah, I what mean, is, that's what you look, said. That's okay. a good. That's a good look, question. There's exceptions to everything, <laughs> right? Uh, just your cousin is the no, exception. No, no. What I'm saying is that's not the normal 18 year olds. <laughs> oh, he's no, abnormal. He is abnormal. He's he's an anomaly. So how do you register as not the normal 18 so that you can vote? <laughs> he's right. Okay, what I'm trying to say is, is you're I wrong. Don't, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to say is my opinion, which is not wrong. My opinion is my opinion. What I'm trying to say is, if the legal age gets moved from look, the legal ages for things have changed. Was okay. So, do you not have the same issue when they changed the legal age from drinking from 18 to 21? I'm sorry. What was that again? They changed. It used to be 18 to drink across the United States. Yes, right. Then they start slowly moving it to 21. Was that detrimental? Um. This is my point. My point is more about the hypocrisy, Lou. Your argument to me keeps coming back, well, you want him to die, but you don't want him to vote. I don't have a problem with it. I think either everything is 18 or well, everything you, should be a different age. You, you have a problem that... You can't pick and choose what the level of you know ad, what you, adulthood is. What you can't make these states have certain rights, you know. You can't make federal laws that, that overcome states' rights. Uh, so... If you're 18 or 21 or 37 or 85 and you live in the state of Kansas, you still can't drink because they don't allow it. You have to have a private club, have your own bottle in a locker someplace, but there is, you can't, you can't, there are states where alcohol is not allowed. It, oh, yeah, like Wyoming. You're in, in North there's Carolina, no alcohol in Wyoming? Oh, yeah, what? you have to drive outside of Wyoming. Wait, is, is, there's no liquor stores anywhere in Wyoming? If, if I'm an individual and I want to drink, I can't find booze anywhere in Wyoming? Well, there are none in North Carolina except the ones that are owned by the state of North Carolina. Right, ABC right. Right. Yeah, the ABT. Yeah. A- ABCs, I think yeah. they call them. Yeah. yeah, but I could go buy liquor and still drink liquor as a citizen in North Carolina. You're talking about selling liquor. Right. Okay. Okay. Got me confused. But you're right. Lose, lose kind of bringing up what we said last week too is that traditionally it was up to the states to decide the drinking age was always decided by the states now all 50 states i believe are 21 mm-hmm. and over but it, it was a state decision and it was it was kind of like hypocrisy coming from the trump administration at least because they're they're for smaller government but now they're imposing this 21 year old law on all of the states so now the states have to comply with a federal regulation that for however long or forever has always been the state's decision to govern because they have to enforce it. So it was up to the states to make that decision. But it'll still be up to the states because they don't have to enforce this federal law if they say they're violating their states' rights. Right, so if they say they want it to be state, 18... Has any state come out and done that? I'm I sure. don't know. I, I don't drink. So it <laughs> but it's not it's not political, so I nobody, have, will, nobody I, will uphold I, it. I have this problem with liquor that as I drink it, I tend to throw up on people. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. That, Dustin can agree with me. Oh, uh-huh. all right. That's not the worst thing in the world. So let's move on to bigger and better news. <laughs> uh, obviously, we've talked a little bit about via text, um, and we talked about a little bit about before the show, the state of the PCA currently, and we'll have Scott on a little bit later. We can talk to him. But you obviously have read and heard that four of the major players in the industry have pulled out of the PCA. And your response to me was, you thought it was something that should be done 25 years ago. Right. So you obviously, look, you like everybody else, expected this to happen sooner or later. But explain to me why you think this is good for the industry. At this present time, Wayne? Or 25 years ago. Well, 25 years ago, I thought it was good for the major players, of which Drew Estate wasn't one because it didn't exist. Right. But 25 years ago... These, the large companies dominated all the displays, the showcases, the sales. Right. Their brands were the big brands. Uh, and the only way that other people could sell any cigars was because they had no sales forces. Sales forces were ex- extraordinarily expensive to put on the road. So these, these little no-name companies would come to the RTDA and take a booth there and uh, and they had access to all the big companies' customers because that's that's what was drawing them in. It's the, it was the same today. I think that's one uh, of the well, big arguments they're big for today. today. They're like the supermarket in a in a shopping right. center that brings the, the customers anchors. in. Today yeah, the anchors, it's hard to it. tell you know what's right and what's wrong because the big companies are run by intensely stupid people. <laughs> so if you went if you went to the RTDA or whatever they call it, ICPC, PCA or, now, yes, whatever they call it. So you go to, let's say, uh, a booth like General Cigar. It's gigantic, and it looks empty. But you go to somebody smart, like Carlos Fuente, and he has a skinny, long booth. Same booth for 20 years. Absolutely. Him and CAO and guys like that, they have skinny, long booths, and they look crowded. Nobody wants to go to a bar that looks empty. I agree. So, Hmm. so, so, So Carlos has this booth that looks like it's humming with activity and and something's going on. Of course, nothing is really going on other than the fact People are just know, walking that through. he's there smiling. Right. right. But, but uh, And then the big booths, they have a massive sales force there. <laughs> and they look empty because their salespeople have already been everywhere and sold whatever it is that they have there. Before they even got there. So now they're occupying the space and spending the money, but they're not selling anything because it's already been pre-sold. When we were talking before we got on the air, we kind of got a little de- you know, debate about this, and then we had to start the show. So I, I want to kind of touch base on it because, you know, I, throughout my career, I've met a lot of other retailers, right? And they always have a very negative image about Lou Rothman and Jr. Because, like, really? Know, oh God, yeah. I was despised. Uh, he was despised. I mean, he's like the antichrist of the industry. I've sat just with from people, jealousy. Jealousy. They he, they feel like they, he's ruining their brick and mortar. Look. Mm. I've said it before, it's so much easier to find an excuse than to find a solution on how to right. innovate, right? You have to learn to operate within what the market availability is, which is going to go to my argument in about a second with Lou. Um, and, and I and then I had I was fortunate enough to meet Lou early on because one of my mentors, God rest his soul, South Fontana, was very close with Lou, and I got to meet him uh, multiple times. And I, every time I met him, I was in awe, right? I learned something new. I thought it was an amazing mind, and I tried to learn from 
it's obviously someone who'd gone down the road before me and done a phenomenal job right, at it, right? Right. So I never took it like, oh, he's attacking me. That's just the model of his business. And if I was going to survive, I had to learn a way to make my business work around his model of the business and not try to compete with him head to head because that's never going to work. But, you know, here's where you and I, I don't, I don't have an understanding, right? Because your advice to them was that they should pull out 25 years ago because all the things you said are accurate, right? They're the anchors of the show. They're propagating a lot of fuel for mid to... But as a retailer sitting here, diversity in the market is something I like. I think it makes for better options for the consumer. I think it makes for better business. If Nike was the only people selling gym shoes, I believe, you know, well, I mean... Obviously, you're the only one. But if there's a smaller number of players, there's less diversity, there's less excitement. I think there's less overall business, right? Fewer people will be selling more shoes, selling more shoes than they normally would. But I think the market is not exciting. Why would you, as a retailer, care to have the big guys pull out of the trade show? What benefit was that going to be to you as a retailer to have given them that advice? At that time? Yeah, I'm curious. We were 56% of General Cigars' business. We were, we were more than half of Altidus' business. So we, it, it was in our interest. To make sure their brands kept selling to better. To support the big companies. Right. And they were the only ones, actually, that could supply us. I mean, some new guy would come. Couldn't roll enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, I remember the first time Kano came into our place to sell us cigars. You know, and he had... I forgot what of it is. Chano Ozinger of CAO. Yeah, very nice guy. I really like him. Rest his soul CAO Gold, guy. it was yeah. called. Right? Yeah. Connecticut so, Mild, And it was like Star. eight sizes, you know, and I said to him, yeah, okay, you know, like send me 500 boxes to each size. He almost well, had a heart attack. Yeah, they don't have that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know Andy Cosson. You know, yes. the first time he came in to sell me humidors. He thought you were going to get an order for 100 or 200. You're yeah. going to be happy. Yeah, I looked at, he had two I liked. I said, okay, send me a container of each one. Just to find <laughs> out how many fits in the container. Yeah. I don't know. We've had Andy on the show. you got to go back in the archives and listen to that story with Andy telling it. Yeah, he, he, he almost, told us the story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but but here, but, but see, here's my here's where I get a little confused, right? And but they were creating by by have by being at the RTDA, especially during the cigar boom years. Yeah, <clears throat> they were creating their own competition and supplying these a lot of people with access to their customers at at no cost. Basically, all they had to do was take a booth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made La Finca into a gigantic brand. I went to the RTDA. I took a booth. I get, I had five brands at the time: La Finca, Jose Marti, La Rosa, La Rosa de Cuba. Right. And what I did, <clears throat> so we 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 gave every single person that came to our booth five boxes of cigars for free. You know, five boxes of twenty-five. People were rushing to our booth like crazy. You know, and and I, I said to uh, this lady Marine, who was my controller. Yes, I knew Marine. Yeah, I, she said, you know, spending a lot of money. I said, no. I said, these people are not going to smoke those cigars themselves. They'll take them back to their store. Try to sell them. They're going to put them on the counter because it costs them nothing. And maybe you get one guy that smokes each brand, and they'll reorder it. And and, and lo and behold, you know, like within a year, La Finca, I thought it might have been the biggest selling brand in America. Just Costco was buying, you know, twelve, fifteen thousand 15,000 boxes of Coronas at a time. 
It's, it's incredible. Wow. But but see, this mentality is what concerns me, right? Because. But I wasn't out there for the cigar industry. I was out there for JR. I, yeah, I, I understand. And I think that's where these manufacturers, they're out there. The guys who pulled out, they're not out there for the industry. They're out there for themselves. But that's exactly what they should be. It's that, business. You're supposed to be out there for yourself. I, I, yeah. I understand that. I was just saying as me as a retailer, obviously I'm not that vested into any of these companies or any single you know, manufacturer that way. But, you know, the means of which they're looking to control the market, I don't think is good for me as a retailer and a consumer, right? If I'm going to end up at the end of the day dealing with eight manufacturing companies, you know, if that's all I'm going to get my cigars for, one, I don't got any leverage as a buyer. I'm, I got to buy from UA. There's no up and coming new guys. There's no creativity in the market. So, yeah, I, I, I think that the attempt, listen, there's, there's a blatant attempt to, hey, do what's best for your business. And I, I do also think that there are moves being out there just trying to snuff competition. You know, and I, I, me personally, I think there's a difference. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the scale in which I operate is not fractional of the scale or levels that guys like you or Arthur or Francois operate. Some water. We got you some water. I, I like it. Oh, all right. <laughs> I don't want water. Just put it to the side there. He just I thought you might you want get parched or you No, there's water and coffee, but <laughs> I thought you wanted water. Don't you were drink it, Blake. Clearing Self. your throat. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you bring the man water? Get it. Although right, this Paul. is a lot better. You know, when I used to go to uh down to Central America all the time, I was always amazed that you couldn't see through the water. Wait, really? what? Yeah. Th- that you drink Drinking water? You couldn't see through it. That's why I would only have coffee there. Kind of like the old Johnny Cash story when he was at uh, Folsom pr- or uh, played at Folsom Prison. He's like, "I can't believe you guys got this brown water you drink here." Yeah. So, do you do you think there's not a need for a trade organization in this in the in the cigar industry? Ooh. <sighs> well, okay. I, let me rephrase. You know, that. I've been out of the business for a while, let, but let, let me start I, with I this. Just find do that, you believe there was a, a need for a trade organization twenty years ago in the cigar industry? Pre-internet, pre-bloggers. But the manufacturers don't belong in the trade organization. They belong in their own organization. Trade organization should be all retailers that are interested in what's good for the retailers. There are no manufacturers that are interested in what's good for the retailers. They're interested in what's good for themselves. You realize that all the big companies are now run by people who, A, you don't know, or people that have 18 vowels in their names, or all consonants and no vowels. I, I but, understand what you're saying. And, and, and these people, their big money is made by stock options and so forth. So the company's got to do well for them to do well, and and they're just passing through. I understand a little bit. Here, this is where I, I, I just, I'm not seeing it, and maybe my depth of vision isn't as deep as yours, right? Because ultimately, there's a chain, right? And in, in the way I'm looking at it, the bottom line end is the consumer, right? They have to do what's best for them. I have to do what's best for me. What's best for me ultimately is tied to what's best for my consumer. In the equation, I see the consumer is the bottom line. If the consumers don't buy, well, then guess what? My brick-and-mortar stores don't thrive. The catalog companies don't thrive. And at the end of the day, there's not a need for a cigar manufacturer. 
But the so same- I, how can you separate what's best for you, organization? It, the retail, if the manufacturers do what's best for the manufacturers, now you got to remember, it's a little blended today. A lot of these manufacturers now are selling direct to consumers. They weren't back then. So if the manufacturers aren't doing what's best in the retailers, who are they going to sell to? You know, in your, in the statement you just made, the manufacturers it's, are doing what's best for them. It's the strength of your product to the public. So that because the manufacturers have now copied all the smaller guys, <coughs> they're constantly coming out. How many hundreds of varieties of Monte Cristo, Romeo, and so forth can there be? Too much. But, <coughs> and, and, the, and they're doing that to offset the smaller guys who are putting something new and interesting on the shelf. It's the exact same thing you see in the supermarket. Why is potato chips is not like, the key item anymore? There's like 80 kinds of potato chips, 90 mm-hmm. kinds of coffee, everything. And as every time one of these little potato chip or little coffee companies get popular, one of the big guys buys them. They buy them, them. yep. And, and you'll see that in the cigar business. It's already yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. There's that water. I mean, I brought you water. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's you, enough for this week. <laughs> <laughs> in case you don't need it. Um, so, so, so your feeling is well, if you have a trade organization that's made, so, so I didn't get the answer. Do you feel there was a need ever for a trade organization? Because most industries have a trade organization. Well, if I was if I was the head of the trade organization now I, or well, then? who's this guy Scott Pierce? Anyway? He's the current. I mean, what do you do Executive before director. this? You can ask him when he comes out. Yeah. Why didn't you ask? Him? I will too. Well, you don't know what he did. I don't know what he did. I, I haven't been on the board for probably many, many nothing years. that has to do with cigars. Most of them don't. That's the problem. When you there's kind of not another but, position to hire from. But in the <laughs> where, hold on, Lou, where are you going to get another cigar guy? Or you mean within the industry, like a manufacturer? Or, in in on the on the supplier side, all the people working there are just passing through on their way to another job, a bigger thing, stock options, retirement, whatever it is. But in the in the retail organization, you have many people who are second and third and fourth generation they're they stay in the business so the retailers stay and the manufacturers come and go it's not the actual manufacturing company it's the people who run the company and they basically don't know anything about the cigar business and the people who who actually sell the cigars they're the only ones that know anything it's the people who s- select and blend and make cigars you know steve Saka type guy that actually knows about cigars. And then the people who know the other end, the retailers, these are people that are mostly like second, third generation. They're people, they have their entire livelihood is invested in their store. And they're dealing with people who don't know anything about the cigar. I was just asked to consult. I won't mention the company. I, I actually met with them and they they wanted to consult with me, which... I did for free because I'm not in the consulting business, and and they had me meet with another consultant who didn't who, who didn't know anything about cigars. They wanted you to catch their consultant and, up to and speed. I, yeah, why why would you hire this person? Would you like to because start a consulting you weren't available? We can we can write some paperwork up. We can start a consulting so business. so back to my original question. 
we keep getting on tangents. 20 years ago, no internet, <laughs> no bloggers, nobody out there. Is there a need for a trade organization? Because I say yes. If yes. you don't have a trade organization, how might... Because just like retailers, there's different level of manufacturers, right? Manuel Casada, much guy, guy on a much smaller level, the Osinger family, um, er, er, Ernie before he sold to General. Where are these guys with retailers all going to go and learn about what's new? And, and, and From be each to, other, because each one of them... Guys like Ernie couldn't get to the whole country back no, then. Guys not like Ernie, the, I'm talking about the retail part. Like... My friend Arnold Goldstein, he was the head of the TAA, and he had me... What decade was this? Well, it's like 1970s, okay. 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1980s, whatever. Uh, yeah, 80s and maybe in the mid... I was yeah, going to say, late that's, a name, that's a name I haven't heard, that's why. So, so he asked me to come and speak to the people for the TAA, which, which I did, and... What I was telling them all was to go into the mail order business, which sounds crazy from somebody who's in the mail order business. <laughs> but I said to them, listen, here's why I went into the mail order business. I had a really good store on the corner of 45th Street and 6th Avenue. And, then and the, I had the and lowest the price. Broke. I had the lowest prices anywhere. And, you know, back then, like a box of cigars, it was like fourteen ninety five, <laughs> And I might be thirteen ninety five, And people would walk. A little bit more. Yeah. To come. I said, but my, my drawing area was like 10 blocks. I mean, would you walk 11 blocks to save one dollar or 12 blocks? So I knew the whole scope of my business was anybody who would walk, you know, seven, eight blocks to my hmm. store. And I also knew if it was raining or snowing, I'm not going to do any business at all. But if you go into the mail order business, there are no geographic limitations. Huh. And you can sell anywhere anytime rain shine middle of the night doesn't matter and and you know it's trying to help them people out because we were also doing wholesale you know and we most of them guys bought from us too and the reason they bought from us is because things were different back then if you wanted to order from general cigar you had to order at least 250 cigars it wouldn't ship us that's 10 boxes and the other companies were like that too but from us you could order a box from Royal Jamaica, right. which was Pan American. You could order 10 boxes from 10 yeah, different companies. A box companies. from Sanford Newman's company. Right. Yeah, you could. I didn't care. I'll ship them one box of cigars. I didn't care. <laughs> so, you were like the cigar broker for these exactly. guys, yeah? yeah. Right. So, so it was in my interest not only to see them do well, but also to get them to sell more cigars. That's how Santa Clara came about. Yeah. So I wanted them to go into the mail. Santa Clara was the basically wholesale division for JR Cigars. Still is, right. Still is. And I advocated, all right, I don't, it's not past tense, but I advocate right now, if any of them people are listening to me, that even though Altidus is not going to the trade show, PCR, yeah. <laughs> that Santa Clara should go to the PCR and take all Altidus' stuff with them. That way, they'll be selling stuff well, General is not. I, I, well, we can ask Scott, but I don't believe that Santa Clara is going to the PCA. But I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't believe that. I, I think I, Coop I, said he confirmed that all the he he, he all, listed like actual brands, yeah, especially from Altidus. I think he confirmed that those brands are not going. I don't know about that brand. Well, but. they're not going through Altidus, but it, it, Santa Clara has always had a separate yep. area oh, okay. than Altidus. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, because Santa Clara would sell to these smaller guys, like he said, that really didn't maybe have an Altus account or a general account. Right, but, right, right. But the need for Santa Clara 
Is Santa Clara doing less business today, do you imagine, than it was back in the day? Because more people are opened up and more people are buying direct, yes? Not only do I not know if they're doing more or less <laughs> business, I don't even know any. I hardly know anybody okay. there anymore. Toward the end of your career, was the need for that mid-level distribution, did it decrease? Yes. Or it did decrease. Because more people were, because like for no, a while. No, it decreased because there were more people doing it. And more people doing yeah. it. Oh, well, other people were doing what you guys were doing. Okay, right, I see and, what you're saying. And, and I have always had a policy that if somebody bounces a check off me, done, they're finished. They'll done. never, they mm-hmm. never get so. so. Lost a lot. Of, you lost a lot of customers <laughs> now in this industry. Yeah, <laughs> I had one guy. I think it was called Chester Tobacco, someplace down here in Florida. And I remember he called me one time and he said, "Listen, you know, I'm on COD. Can you put me on? You know, not on COD." And I said, no, you bounced a check. He said to me, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I've been in business my whole life. I never bounced a check. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so so do you think there's a need for a trade show today? Yes, I do, but for retailers. Okay, well, what am I going to do as a retailer and go to a trade show if there's no manufacturers? You said for retailers. If there's not manufacturers there, Manufa- what am I, well, no, I going to go no, do? No, manufacturers can go to it, but I'm saying... The like, pre- visit it, not not no. necessarily present no, there? They can, they can display stuff there if, if they want to show all their products. And, you know, it should be an educational type of thing. But you don't think any of the big guys should belong to it? This is where I'm getting, no, I'm getting I, a little confused I, in the message of what yeah. you're advocating. Well, You, you I, don't feel the big guys should belong to it. But yet you want Santa Clara, you think they should be there this year. You They're know wholesale I mean? to, to take advantage of the fact that the big guys are not there. Okay. Do, do you, do you, you're all right. You, you believe that it was a good move for the big guys to pull out of the PCA. Uh, I didn't say that. Oh. I, I said 25 years ago okay. they should have done it 24, 23, 22, 23. Right. They should have done why, a long why not time now? Ago. What's the difference between now and 25 years ago? I think it's too late because of the internet, uh, you know, uh, and the fact that all of these smaller manufacturers have been exposed to all the retailers already. That, uh, the the damage is done already. Yeah, the so there's no point. Done. There's no point in this point pulling no. out. And and in fact, since they all have sales forces and they sell all the stuff they're going to bring to the show before the show ever starts, what the hell's the reason to go there? Well, that okay. Well, that that brings up a whole. They could have has hospitality rooms instead of booths. Oh. So, so go back to the they original. go back there and they you know they they rent something and they run a dinner you know or one of the things that attracted me to go to the shows even though I was buying all the stuff ahead of time right. was the fact that you saw everybody you got to meet all the people who ran who ran these companies. And Today, as I said before, you don't even know who runs the and, company. And these people weren't actually just coming to see you regularly on the on a day to day basis. I, I did. We did see them that way also. I mean, come on, you were the biggest guy. Well, in, and back in then, the world, he was, I mean, I, yeah, where he was. I mean, he was kind of in the the center, you know, in Jersey and New York, and everybody was there anyway but, at some but, point, right? But uh, some of it was uncomfortable because I was universally hated, you know, by most of the retailers. The re- in fact. At one show, Mark Goldman, House of Oxford, he said, "Let's switch badges." You know? <laughs> and so, well, so wait, people... so so we switched badges. Yeah. 
about 20 minutes later, he came back and gave me my badge back. <laughs> yeah. I can't people, take it anymore. People were beating him well, up. Yeah, most people, you know, people don't realize this. Most people don't didn't know, because there was a lot of internet back in the day, what Lou looked like. Yeah. Oh, Lou, so he could walk around. No, no, no. Lou was notorious. It's a true story. He'd be on the floor of Santa Clara taking orders. <laughs> yeah. and, and nobody people, knew who he was. No, no. People would walk up to him and say, hey, is Lou Rothman here? And they'd ask him. <laughs> And he'd say, "Yeah, I saw him go that way." Brilliant. <laughs> True story, yeah. I've had custom. I had used to have customers in the store don't come up to me and saying they knew me. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> One guy really did. His name was Frank Feducci. He was the guy I was in the Marine Corps with, but oh, I, wow. I didn't recognize him because you know oh, years years later, gone right? By. Yeah. This kid was incredible. He could run a ten two hundred. We played touch football against the New York Giants. They used to train at uh, Fort, what the hell was it? some fort in the Bronx where, where we had the Marine Corps Reserve meetings, and, and we played touch football against the New York Giants. This kid caught a little pass and took off, and Homer Jones couldn't catch him. But he, <laughs> this kid runs a 10-200, but he was in combat boots. Wow. But Alex Webster benched Homer Jones during the game. This <laughs> little kid wearing combat boots outran him for a touchdown. Wow. <laughs> so right. wait, no, 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 okay. Almost, we got a few more minutes. All right. We'll take a break at the top of the hour. Okay. So, look, the question is this: Then, do you see the PCA surviving and moving forward? Does it need to change? Does does the trade show, does the get together, have to be a selling event? Cannot cannot an event be tied around where there's something else done other than selling? Since most of the selling's already done, and manufacturers cannot take such extravagant. It has to be a selling event because all the smaller companies that you're talking about that are, that are not the ones who withdrew, that's where they do their business. Okay. Because they don't have a sales force right. is what you're getting at. I know, but what, what if, what if... Yeah, I, I, Even I, I, still, though, is that is that really the case? Like, is what? that where they get their their business done for the year? Like, well, I mean, it's not as dynamic maybe as it was for Drew Estate and the mm-hmm. Daisy talking about, but that's the ultimate benefit, right? A lot of these guys don't have the force or sales force to get out there mm-hmm. and reach it. So, you know, Drew Estate made their name back in the day, like just said, being there, and not just being there. They would they would take their whole probably years worth of marketing budget. Throw this crazy, stupid party right. that was unprecedented for a company their size. They'd have all these people jam packed the next morning, all talking about what a great party it was, mm-hmm. and they would do yeah, perfect example. Uh, you as a uh, yeah, people, there was people one came year, up to you. Yeah, there was one year where I did a technically our first micro blend if you yeah. figure it out, but yeah. I did a, a exclusive limited project with them called Ming. Right? I was, oh yeah, yeah I was, so I I was a it. nobody retailer then. Right? They had taken my picture. Um, it was a new release. It, my stores had it first, like the first 250 boxes, and they start selling it all over the country. And it was really funny because Keith Myers put me on the cover of their catalog because I was the advertising for it. <laughs> right. So they put me on the cover of their catalog not knowing who I was. And everybody started, why are you on the cover of Cigars International's catalog? Oh, my month? God. But they had put out all these flyers, live party, drew a state event, and they used that Ming ad. So that literally the next day, throughout the whole trade show, Everybody was walking up to me. Great party. Thank you so much. Thanking me for the party. And What'd I, you say? You're welcome? No. At first, I started <laughs> explaining. No, no, no. That was a Drew Estate party. Blah, blah. And then, like, literally, like, 45 or an hour into the show, I just got tired. Like, You're welcome, man. I'm glad you had a great time. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, John, what are you going to do? Jonathan Sands is a very, you know, he's a very creative guy. And, 
and he would make these incredible booths. Yeah. And Jonathan, what, Jonathan Drew. Drew yes. Yeah. Actually, Jonathan Sands. Yes. But he's very, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure he's totally sane, but, but he would make these very interesting booths. And he told me, I, I forget what number it was, but it was like, 50 or 60% of his year's sales yeah. would be done at the RTDA. But that's a, that was a, that's a different world, right? I mean... I don't know if it's that different for some of these people. See, social media's changed the landscape, mm-hmm. and Internet's changed the landscape. Now a guy like Juan Cancel with I was just a Facebook say, page yeah. is reaching everybody. Mm-hmm. Who? <laughs> it's, it's a new and upcomer, a small company that started, but... But you know, basically built their brand off on of social, social media, media. Having a social media audience. And that's a lot of people. And in my opinion, that's where these big guys are losing it. Because they, no one they don't have that presence and that personality. Most of them are still old school. Right. Most of them are run by Europeans. But they haven't connected to the community the way the Sockers are doing it and the Skip Martins are doing it. Sockalicious. And the Nick Molos are doing it and the Juan Cancels and the Eric Espinosas. Because they're connecting on a one-on-one basis, right? They make a personal connection they with make a their personal audience, connection. and they and if they they just have somebody, if they have anybody, some of them don't even some some of them haven't embraced social media, right? But if they do, it's some corporate person making a corporate post with a picture and that's we it, an hour. That's and, it. Instead so of, yeah. they're losing they're losing on that forefront, and that's why there's such a viability for guys to start brands overnight because they're reaching people. But um, we're gonna take a small break. And then Scott Pierce, is he on? Is he ready? He's not here yet. At 11. At, well, it's, it, gonna, it is 11. 11. Well, not it's yet. 11. I'll, I'll, we're going to take a we'll small sure break, he comes get some of his coffee out, and have more with Lou and Scott Pierce, uh, you know, uh, director of the PCA. Executive director of the PCA. We'll see what he has to say and uh, defend himself. And Stop saying defend himself like the guy's on a jury trial. He's not, he he's might not, be. He, we're all he nice does, here. We're he all nice here. He's got to defend himself. He's giving his commentary. All right, fine. Sake. Uh, keep it lit. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. Welcome back. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. Welcome back to KMA Talk Radio. I am Adam K. We're broadcasting live on this, the 18th of January, in the year 2020. And in the Baba Wata's voice, welcome to 2020. Uh, Awan Cancel just woke up and came on. Oh, boy. I think Danny Moya woke him up. He said, <laughs> Lou said, Juan who? Juan who? <laughs> you know what's funny is a lot of people still say Juan who. <laughs> yes. Uh, with me, of course, Mr. Honest we love you, Abe. Good morning. Paul, the producer. Hey, and, hey, hey. Uh, we are pleased to be joined by legendary cigar aficionado, Mr. Lou Rothman himself. <laughs> Lou, thanks for being here again, buddy. You got an audience yeah. out there clapping for you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we are now joined uh, on the phone by Executive Director of the PCA, Mr. Scott Pierce. Scott, thank you for being here this morning. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Scott. And I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your Saturday morning. Uh, I'd like to start because Lou asked me a good question uh, in the first hour of the show, and I really didn't have an answer for him. Um, Scott, why don't you share with us your background before you became the Executive Director of PCA? Sure. Um, for about 20 years, uh, I've been in uh, trade associations and trade association management. Uh, immediately preceding the PCA, I was the head of marketing for the American College of Radiology. 
And so, um, had a, you know, big background in terms of, of marketing, program development, et cetera. Um, I know they went through a, a really long process, uh, you know, months, months worth for the executive search committee. Uh, and when they came upon me, they uh, were, were throwing me into the mix, I think, at the time, because they were looking at uh, somebody that could come in and, and sort of initiate some of the changes that um, needed to have been made for quite a while. And then also somebody with a, with a background of understanding of uh, the dynamics of trade associations and, and those kind of things. So um, in terms of my uh, connection with the cigar industry, uh, it goes back as a consumer for a number of years. And in fact, Lou, uh, some of the first cigars I ever purchased in Washington, D.C. itself was at the, the old JR, which is now Casa de Monte Cristo, but, uh, um, but been, been an avid consumer for, for a long time. Oh, there you go. At least you have some background. That was my second question is, yeah, how long have you been a consumer? He's been an avid yeah. consumer for yeah. a long time. So the question that I posed to Lou, and I'm going to pose to you, because, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk, obviously a lot of press. You've made comments. We've seen press releases. Um, a lot of the press releases I don't think you know, depict 100% of the story of what's actually going on in the cigar verse, as I like to call it. But, you know, as someone who sat on the board many years ago uh, for a short period of time and, you know, kind of am still involved in the industry, although I'm not kind of in all the machinations of what's going on in the background. Um, where is the future, do you see, of the PCA? I mean, are, the big question is, is, is there still a need for the trade show, a show? Because, you know, the, the part of the dilemma is, is over the years is the need to buy and the need to go there to buy is becoming less and less prevalent to you know go to the show to have this done so how do you how do we change that how do we make the show a much more needed destination for retailers in the years to come and especially now with the announcement of some of uh, your you know biggest participants pulling out yeah absolutely uh, i can tell you that that is not unique to the cigar industry at all uh, when we look at trade shows, um, and I think that I, I caught a little bit of what you were all talking about earlier, uh, and to lose point 25 years ago uh, for some of those companies to have pulled out, uh, yeah, you know, the sort of the evolution of kind of with modern technology and the different things that are available now, um, trade shows do have to evolve. And that is, again, like I said, one of the main things that came up during my process of, of interviewing was talking about the, the background that I have in evolving and looking at innovative ways to, to change things up, to continuously add more value, more benefit. So looking at trade shows, yes, it does need to evolve. It does need to change. I think buying does need to still be a component of it. Uh, I think that um, I think uh, it was uh, probably you, Abe, that said this just a few minutes ago. It is still important for some of these uh, new brands and smaller brands to have that platform to connect. But uh, but I think that um, it, we, it needs to evolve into a much larger annual gathering and annual meeting uh, that has several components of it and provides people more reasons to come than just simply buying. And then we have been taking a strong look at that and putting things into place in order to try to get that done. It's difficult to, to change on a dime, uh, especially when you have 88 years of history of being specifically about the trade show. Uh, but we are... You know, putting things into place in order to evolve it. Uh, we are looking at different times of the year. We have RFPs out for different locations as well. So we're, we are really taking a look at that. And yes, it does uh, need to to evolve and change so that they can be a place of 
of it, a total industry coming together for, for various reasons that everyone gets value out of. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a change that's probably been a little bit overdue, and hopefully at yeah. this point now you, you could find ways to turn it around. Um, the, the, the question the question comes bears to mind, though, is um, I don't believe it's an instant process. Like you said, something that's going to turn on the dime. Um, do you feel... Because I, I actually the rumor mill and like this is an industry full of rumors is that, is that the the board is yeah here, here's one of the things I had issue with the board was um, like now looking I think I heard move, moving forward with CigarCon for 2021 which once again now the way I look at it as a former member of the board as a retail industry that's now our trade dealing directly with the consumers and not really solving the issue of how do we get retailers there and make this a buying experience. The trade show is going to be a buying experience, right, to make the value for the manufacturers to come out there and spend the time and get the sales that are warranted for their time and expense and the exposure that some of the mid and small lever guys need. Does an event like CigarCon, which is really geared towards the consumers, um, does it alleviate that problem? I didn't see it. I don't see it. Maybe you can explain it to me. Yeah, so um, I, I am just going to give you my perspective coming into the position when Consumer Day was already effectively being discussed and in process. Um, it was something that had been brought up by the Manufacturing Advisor, Advisory Board as something to do a couple of things but inject a lot of, of life and excitement into the trade show and from what I gathered as well is the idea behind it was a, uh, something along the lines of being able to start creating a platform for consumer engagement within the industry. Um, I remember talking to Skip Martin about this, and he talks about when he came as a consumer, how much he fell in love with the industry, fell in love with the, the, the entire culture of cigars being on that trade show floor. And so I think that that was somewhat of the motivation. Um, and I talked about this a little bit with Cigar Coop on, on Thursday. We obviously know the execution of how it all went down was tragically flawed. Um, and so uh, there's no definitive plans that is not being worked on right now. I believe that what you're talking about is exactly where we are refocusing our efforts. And the engagement of consumers, while critical and important for grassroots advocacy, legislative outreach, and more support, um, any type of consumer event is going to be external to the trade show in the foreseeable future. Okay. Well, that sounds like it's headed in the right direction, but um, I lost my train of thought. Well, we haven't asked KMA um, based on this exact topic, though, but... um, Lou, the question goes to you from Brian on Facebook. Can you remember what what the most maybe in, in your years of going to the trade show what the what the most attended year was and and possibly why? Well, I don't remember what year it was, but it was during a cigar boom. It was in Cincinnati. Okay, there were massive shortages of of product, uh, and also it it was uh, very close to this place that had some great spare ribs. <laughs> Cincinnati. I would not expect spare ribs in yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, it was uh, right over the river. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget what in, in Kentucky. Oh, really? And uh, it was a big round place. Everybody went there. Okay. So it's it's like it was the modern day Circle Bar, basically, if, if you will. Yeah, where everybody. Came. That's where everybody went. Yeah. But essentially, you couldn't get cigars. That, that, so 
So, so there was a need to go there because there was yeah you had to find where you can get product to yeah, sell. Essentially, the cigar shortages were so bad that if people needed four boxes of something, they ordered ten, even though they needed four, hoping they would get four instead of the ten. And then, of course, each company kept seeing their back orders mount and mount and mount, mm-hmm. and assumed that uh, the demand was unending. And Bad assumption. That ended in about November 1997. He's, got the, he's got the month. Yeah, yeah. The, well, that date month. he remembers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that time period opened the door for a lot of guys who all of a sudden got in the business who weren't in the business. Doctors, dentists, Everybody. all sorts of people <laughs> going down. Uh, Nestor was making cigars to like 100 different people. It's just incredible. Hmm. What? Well, I was going to go back to... so. Scott, how do you um, how do you do you anticipate getting these big four companies that have come back? How do you anticipate trying to get them to come back? Is there even an effort? If, to try is to there get an them effort to get them back? to come back, or are you just closing the door on that? Oh no, never. Uh, look, my whole philosophy, the PCA, we're, we are stronger when we're together. Uh, we have some really crazy challenges ahead of us right now in terms of regulation and, and, and not even just federal, but but just seems to be sort of this coordinated effort on a lot of states for a lot of different bills that have already dropped. Uh, we want to be able to be a unified industry. We need to if we're going to continue to have success. And as I've referred to this several times, build this regulatory wall around ourselves to give ourselves the, the protection and a foundation of stability and clarity so that both manufacturers and retailers can operate uh, their their businesses with assurances that it's not going to be disrupted uh, with regulatory overreach. So uh, efforts are being done um, in, in terms of uh, we, we were having talks at the time. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things to where um, they all decided right at the same time to release their press releases. And, and you know, we basically just had a few minutes notice on, on that end in terms of that decision being made. Um, we're always hopeful that we can continue the dialogue and that that you know, the right changes can be made in, in terms of for, for both sides to make it, you know, fair and equitable for all sides. Uh, but, you know, in this instance, we, you know, there's a huge support that we have from the manufacturers that are still coming, and we're working together very closely with them on a lot of our regulatory and legislative issues and litigation. We're making significant progress right now. Um, over the past just four or five months, we've made more progress in those four or five months than we have the past few years uh, in terms of with the offices, with the White House, and with the FDA. And we've got some solutions that we're working on that could provide some monumental relief for the industry. And so the door is always well. The door is always open. You know, the door is always open, but I kind of, because I've talked now with, I talked with a couple of the big four representatives. I've talked with some of the board members. I just don't see the big four coming back. I think if they wanted to make a statement for change, which everybody here is acknowledging that obviously the trade needs some kind of change. I think if they wanted to make a statement of change, they would have, they could have done it. They could have taken half the space. They could have put up zero sponsorship money. You know, that statement would have been heard loud and clear. I think that unified pulling out, whether it was planned or not planned to be together, I think uh, is with intent to basically not come back and maybe see the organization you know fall apart now there's been a lot of solidarity um a lot of people announcing their support and coming out the show carlito's already made a press release i think he's making cigars 
some very but limited. Opus C- X forbidden X apparently. He's making some limited cigars yeah. that if you don't attend the trade show, you won't be able to purchase. So there there is some solidarity solidarity and and and, and stuff coming on. But in, in my opinion, I, I I don't know. Or I mean, this is just my own personal opinion. I'm not sure if there's any intention of those big four to come back. And you know, if that is the scenario. Do you see the PCA overcoming that? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, you know, when, when doing any kind of scenario planning, um, best worst case scenarios, because uh, at the time, while they said, yeah, go ahead and pencil us in, because a lot of these guys, again, had spent a lot of money, so they're higher up on that priority points list to select their booth. At the time, they said, we're not committing to 2020. But for us, in a show of good faith, we said, well, we're just going to pencil you in, in your spots and move forward. They said, okay, uh, while we continue to try to have some of these discussions. Um, and uh, so we knew that there was a chance. Again, the way it happened really did catch us off guard. We were, you know, as it was released. But because of that, uh, we were looking at worst-case scenario, if they don't show up, how do we do this trade show? And so spent no small amount of time looking at budgets and, and talking to the SANS and figuring out ways in which we could cut our costs uh, while still having the trade show, while still having some of the important things like an opening night party, et cetera. So we can continue to do this trade show this way. Um, it does mean that we're shaving our budget in some of other areas and operations and some of the things that um, we did last year, but that's mostly things like labor costs or other operational things that, that we have. Um, the other part, too, is the you were on the board. You know that, that there were a lot of people that took their fiduciary responsibility very seriously and have been able to, you know, put together a good reserves for the organization, um, which is, uh, you know, a lot of what we use to right now, at least, to fight the litigation and, and, and all of our lobbying efforts. But we've got a good, sound foundation to be able to continue to run a trade show, to run and, and, and also invest in evolving it into a really good annual event for the industry where people are coming not just for the trade show, uh, but the trade show is a part of why they're coming. And so, yes, I do see... Uh, us continuing to go forward, to continuing to progress, surmounting these challenges they, that do present themselves uh, because of the four uh, deciding not to attend. Uh, but I do believe that there is a role for PCA with everybody else that is still involved and that still supports us uh, for an annual event that does have a trade show as part of it. So, Scott, my next question is, what ideas do you guys have currently that you're trying to implement to try and get uh, retailers and other manufacturers to still support the PCA for next year's for this year's event. So one of the things that we were already working on, uh, we put out a survey last year, and a lot of people told us why they they do and they don't come, et cetera. And we tried to really home in on those those. Uh, those needs for folks. And so uh, we're kind of changing that, that Friday up and allowing manufacturers an opportunity to spend the bulk of that Friday with retailers in sort of a non-trade show experience in, in, in a different hall, essentially, just being able to talk about new products. Retailers have told us continuously that coming to the show is their time to find out and learn about new products and, and smoke them and, find, and, and then talk to the vendors about it. So that Friday is going to be all geared up towards more relationship building, new product showcases, and, and some other activities. So that's the start for this year. That was planned regardless, um, and this was all planned before the, the, the announcement of the four. Additionally, what we're working on, too, is creating an actual annual meeting of the membership. Um, so uh, this is kind of where, when you talk about my background, drawing on experiences from the previous 18, 19 years that I had in trade associations and annual meetings of membership a lot of a lot more is involved, and what's really great about the, this industry is that there's a there, there's a lot of passion, uh, particularly about the organization. I, uh, oftentimes, that does reflect itself 
um, in some some fun, interesting online and social media conversations. But the good news is, is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of people want to be involved. And so getting together to actually have that annual meeting of membership where things like resolutions are discussed with, within the organization, talking about how um, you know, elections to committees and therefore potentially you know, how, how the pathways to the board are, being able to have town halls and discussions about the policies of the organization and feedback mechanisms uh, and those types of things of, of the actual annual meeting and business of the organization, um, on top of some additional uh, events. Um, and really focusing on the compliance issues and the education issues that we need to be providing. Um, and this is just an example of that is that we're working on right now is developing a retailer education program uh, to uh, align with the FDA so that if you have our compl- if you have our education program done, then basically if the FDA finds that you're in violation of a tobacco 21, then because you have this, you won't be fined for the first offense. And so there's things like that that we are developing and would like to be able to have available at the, at, at the annual meetings as well. So I think all of that combined, hopefully, will start to get us to a point to where, again, the more involvement from the general membership and the more diversity of perspectives coming to bear on how we evolve this, then the better that product will be. It's interesting you brought up diversity, and obviously you have a uh, obviously a, a lot on the plate as far as your game plan. Um, but diversity was part, part of the problems that I felt the, the, the IPCPR, when it was called when I was on the board, is because I believe the landscape is changing constantly, and it was set in such a mentality. If, if you look at uh, the letter that was issued last week, this week by Arthur Zaretsky, a famous right, and the complaints. Mm-hmm. I, I was on the board where where I remember three of us sitting there, and there's a mentality where um, a lot of the board at the time is old school mentality and trying to protect an era that doesn't exist. They were, they were, they were actually lobbying for legislation at Jenkins Act at the time. And, and my question to the board was, do you even know how many of your members and the current members do out-of-state sales? And they couldn't answer it. And I think that goes to the letter of Arthur Zarecki, is The problem is, is this industry not made up now so much of just the famouses or the JRs or the top CIs. There's a lot of mid-level guys like me and... Dave Garofalo and Jeff Borschwitz who are out there doing online businesses who represent this community, who've done a lot of work for this community. And the 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 mentality of the board sometimes didn't align with everybody who was part of the organization, right? There's always been this movement of the brick and mortar and protecting the brick and mortar against people who saw out of state where my mentality is, well, listen, it's a lot easier to go out and get a small sliver of the national audience and sell to somebody who's living in Montana and North Dakota than it is to try to open up another retail store and and fight locally against all your little local competitors. But, you know, I, I think that's been part of the problem. So I'm just curious as to what your take or the current board take is like on the letter that Arthur Zareski wrote this week. Yeah, so uh, to uh, I'll take that just in two parts, if you don't mind. The no. first part of, of that is... One of the things that is difficult, and, and hence the reason for this annual meeting, like I talked about, when, you, when it, so with ACR, just real quick, my previous position, they would have this massive meeting of, of you know thousands of radiologists, and they would get together and they would have this open forum debate about resolutions that were coming forward, and then that would vote, and then that would essentially become that policy that is supported by the organization. And I think to your point here about this online and brick and mortar and, and the complexities of the modern retail world, 
which are still very much evolving because it's still pretty new. I mean, 2000 was only 20 years ago. And so this aspect, I think, is one of the main reasons why it's very, very difficult to be able to solve these problems of total membership representation uh, in a lot of the current board formats, not just with this organization, but with others. And so that's why I truly feel like the more open we can make this annual meeting in terms of things like this, this is where you can start to truly get that broad membership base. And it gives every member a chance to come in and do just what you're talking about, provide that diversity of experiences. Because it's very easy to have assumptions and, and not understand based upon a few years ago's worth of experience to where have times have changed and a lot of mentalities have changed. And, and to where five years ago maybe you did have a majority of membership that believed one way, uh, whether or not internet sales, I'm not necessarily talking a specific issue here. Just, yeah, but over four or five years, a lot of things change, right? And so being able to have that format every year for that to come up, I think, is essential for us in moving forward. Uh, in in terms of uh, in terms of Arthur's letter, um, so from uh, this, this all predated me, but I can tell it in terms of a lot of history that was going on there. But what I can tell you is in the time that I've been here, we never ever went after and tried to increase a tax as far as that's concerned. But, look, we have also fought against online sales bans in other states as well. We're very much, and we have relationships with a lot of manufacturers that have uh, massive online sales stores. And so we definitely don't ever want that to go away because we understand as an organization, and I'm using the you know, royal we in that sense, um, how important that distribution channel is to the industry. Uh, and so it's just a matter of us, you know, approaching different state tax laws in, in, in certain ways. Well, I mean, I think the idea of the membership voicing their opinions to set direction is one of the best ideas I've heard. Because I think sometimes the five or six or eight people, whatever the board consists of these days, these days is not the exact picture of the membership of the current state of affairs. So. That's something that I think is is very good to hear. I think uh, I, I don't know how easy that is to pull off or get that many people in a room to actually have a conversation or a debate or a discussion. But I, I love the thought of that. I think that's good. And I, you know, another thing that I, I don't know if that's this is something that's across come across your table. I've had some discussions with people, but I mean, would it not behoove the industry? Look, one of my one of the biggest issues that we always face, right? That's going to be a constant bane is the fracturedness of our industry. Um, there, there, there are too many interests that aren't aligned that works for everybody, particularly, and everybody, like Lou mentioned earlier in the show, has to do what's best for the business. But it, may this not be a good time, and I'm, I'm definitely not intelligent enough or know how this could even possibly work, but um, right now we have two major shows that everybody's kind of been talking about, the TPE, the trade show, the, the PCA, the TPE, the PCA. TPE's been working very hard, diligently, in getting more guys like me to come to their show, flying me out, buying me tickets. I haven't been to a TPE yet. Um, a lot of my um, associates in the industry do go regularly. Would this not be a good time to find a way to merge the two groups to have one unified trade show across the board, mass market and premium at the same time, use the synergies combined, not try to fight to who's going to go where and when, and, and maybe overall create maybe an, more of a blended area where it may benefit both industries. I'm not sure, but is that option ever come across the table yes well, discussions have come up in, in terms of that and uh and look again we talk about the state of the industry the state of trade shows the state of everything else that's going on um again and i, I do want to stress this the, with all of of the 
challenges of, of the boards and representations and everything else. My experience is that this board of the executive committee um, very open to ideas and just want to be able to provide benefits for the industry. I know that there's oftentimes disagreements about how that works and functions, and I know that there's frustrations in terms of communications, and we are really going to be working and focusing much, much more on that. Uh, but I will say this is that they spend a significant amount of time away from their businesses with the sole purpose of trying to benefit this industry. And so conversations have come up in terms of what does that future look like? And so the potential of do we reach out to TPE? Do are there other things that we do and changes in this and that and the other? Look, nothing definitive, but I can just say, look, yes, it has. We're open to any positive change that will take the industry as a whole in the right direction. Yes, Kim has a question. Does half the money go to a regulatory relief and half the money goes to a private company. Skip, we're not going to answer all your world questions, Skip. You know, <laughs> this is just a framework, Skip. This Take is it a easy. chance. Yeah, Skip, you know, we're not solving it, we're not addressing it, but what I'm saying is I think it's a viable option. I think it's an option that could be explored, and I do believe that if you look right, a solution can be found, right? I mean, there's solutions out there if Agreed. you look hard enough. And I think, I think a bigger, newer show maybe that would have an aspect of it that I'm not accustomed to normally seeing, right, would excite me. And maybe I would go. And and I think the synergies would work. I think the timing and the fighting of the timing, because, you know, right now, there really is a pull as far as I see in two different directions. I think a lot more people are going to TPE, don't know why we need to have two shows. And I think there's a common ground, right? Yeah, we all have our little things that differentiate us that maybe we'll fight on our own side. But the, the industry as a whole does have a core commonality. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we don't have all the answers for you, Skip. It was just an exploratory question, oh, if, if you could live with that. Don't you think that yeah, some, of, some of the luster of the premium cigar business would be uh, compromised if you're going to a show where they're also selling cotton candy machines and Slurpees. You know what, Lou? Maybe and maybe not. Everything can be done. I mean, it, listen, I remember in 95 in Orlando, um, the, the the trade show in 95, I wasn't even fully in the cigar business. I was wholesaling, distributing in Chicago, looking to do a retail store. And I went to the trade show in 95 at the Marriott in Orlando, and the expo was in two halls. It was a hall on the right and a hall on the left, and you literally walked out of one hall Went into the hallway and walked out of the that, other hall. That's typical of a lot of trade shows. A lot of the ones that, I go to. That's what I'm saying. There, there's an answer to everything, and there's a way you could class it up, and, and there's a way where it won't down quality what the, the premium cigar side is, and it may up bring the level of the TPE, but I think always there's more power and synergies, and I think it could be something that could become more exciting in a new type of show, which if you're looking to reinvigorate something, it's a possibility how the economics and the logistics of it all works at the end of the day. You know, I, I, I you know, that's stuff that smarter people than me is going to iron out. But I, I, one I, thing I will. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Scott. As I say, it, more, more nuanced and complicated than just even the economics of, the, of that aspect are the regulatory aspects of it. By that, I mean that with the amount of work we've done, we've had FDA um, agents that have visited our show floor for the past several years. And with our message on Capitol Hill, we've done uh, a, a no small amount of effort uh, to really differentiate ourselves from the ends devices that are out there. And so I would say the challenge with it much more so is that if we are under one banner, or even if it is a hall that's adjacent and it's not going on at the same time, 
it tends to diminish that message right now for us getting a regulatory carve out when we are part of this as a total industry. Now, you know, if that solves itself, then then those challenges are significantly diminished. You know, I but thought, that is one of the challenges. I thought about that, right? I actually did. That came across my head. First off, I'm not sure if the government's that savvy to actually know who's doing what and what kind of a trade show. But I, th- <laughs> I just don't think they're that smart. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't think dissolving the organization is an issue. I think finding a way to merge together just for the point of having a show together which doesn't necessarily mean they're the same entities it could be just a show that combines two entities so you know it's a synergy of location I, like i said I, I i'm not sure if if the the government would be that savvy to realize oh you did a trade show you do a trade show with them i don't know but well don't it, give them any ideas now <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah i'm sure they're listening Big Brother's got the NSA satellite. is always yeah. right. Well, they, again, the the FDA and the tax department, et cetera, they do come to the show every year for for ours specifically. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I, you know, maybe in the next six months or so, we kind of have our regulatory issues mostly resolved. You know, but that that is just kind of one of the main things is that unfortunately the optics do oftentimes weigh when we're going into policymakers, and if there's any connection that they make, particularly because. The, the health groups and the tobacco for the, the campaign for tobacco free kids and everything else they have significant uh, influence and very deep pockets and anytime they get any kind of of sniff of anything they they attack so they attack our exemption they attack any kind of thing because of the potential quote unquote loophole that it provides and so it's just a matter of, of not offering them any kind of ammunition that would you know have a backlash on us like I said if we get this fixed then that uh, objection is significantly reduced. Uh, no, I mean, no, no. Uh, Lou just told me what the spare rib place was in Kentucky. Oh, oh it's funny. <laughs> Somebody did comment on that. I was going to give it to you. What am I missing about the spare Oh, the, the answer? What, from that yeah. show oh, from okay. Cincinnati. Oh. <laughs> he, 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 it's he the Montgomery Inn in case anybody's Yes, that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, Scott. How long is your, your, your contract with the uh, PCA? Uh, uh, my current contract is just an annual basis. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. So, um, <laughs> are we planning on renewing? When is it, I mean, look, obviously you're, you're in a tough predicament. You've got really put in probably one of the hardest positions anybody sitting in your seat has seen <laughs> since, yeah. since the beginning <laughs> of the organization. Yeah. No thoughts about bailing ship. Uh, do you, uh, do you have any, uh, you know, you don't have any, do you? No, no. Um, that's the first time someone's brought it up, so I don't know. Are the rumor mill's calling for my head already? <laughs> no. No, I'm just saying you're not a guy I'd like to be right now. No. <laughs> so you're in a difficult position. You're, yeah, you're Is it a, easier to give up? You actually got burdened probably with one of the biggest problems the organization's ever had, and you only have a one-year contract. I mean, I mean, you know, it's not like you have to deal with it for the next two or three years. So, like, only second to Carlos Beltran. <laughs> hey, look, if I could be Alex Cora and set up some way I could steal the signs of the FDA to benefit the industry, I would do it in a heartbeat. Wow. Um, well done. Good. So I would, no, I, you know, look, this is, I'm going to just say this, this is nothing I have to do, it's something I want to do. 
you know, I've been an avid cigar smoker. Uh, it's something that I, you know, I've got some of my best friends in the world uh, because of cigars. It's, it's what we do. And so, you know, yeah, this is tough, but at the end of the day, this is a small time frame for us. But the reality is, is that um, we've got such a good team in D.C. right now. We're all we're all riled up about what we can accomplish for the industry, not just regulatory, but how we can really take this, this association to, to new places that can benefit uh, everybody that's involved. And so, you know, look, I don't remember seeing this as a job I have to do. It's something that I want to do and the challenge is there, but it's actually another reason why I'm enjoying it. It's tough. I might have aged probably 30 years in the past <laughs> week, but, um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if I didn't have that passion, then, then, you know, I don't think I would care. I wouldn't be on this show. I wouldn't have been on Coop show until 1230 on Thursday and, and, and other places and, and other things. And so, um, you know, while I mean, there's no plans for me to, to develop anytime soon. I, you know, I've, um, talked about this at length with executive committee members and board members about, um, being able to where we can be at in the next five or 10 years. And so, so that's where my focus is at, and uh, I mean, I just I feel very honored to be able to be a part of this industry and uh, to be able to do what we do. It's funny. I'm trying to read comments yeah. as they're blazing by my screen um, during the show, um, and you know, look, you know, Shorty's out there sh- shouting TP is for profit. Look, I I understand all those just, just throwing issues, ideas against the wall. But the, the problem wall, right? is the problem is at the end of the day what. The point everybody's missing is, is if you don't have a revenue of a successful show, you basically have, in this current state, no income for this organization. <laughs> you have to have a successful show the way it's currently set up. Am I incorrect with this? I mean, this is basically, this is basically this, the organization's main source of any kind of revenue, right? So... It is. It is. It is the the largest share of, of where we get our revenue. Right. Uh, that is actually one of the things that I talked about from from day one, uh, both in interview and then coming onto the job. Pardon me, was to set up a truly successful organization, even as a business. And this is the, the for those of you and and uh, you know, Lou probably knows this better than anybody for as successful as he's been. Your diversity of revenue streams is ultimately what sets you up for success when when curveballs come or when changes happen like this, for example. And so that's one of the things that we are focusing on is how do we add value to the membership in the industry where that presents to us a, a more diverse revenue streams that come in so that, like this example, if this happens or, or whatever happens, let's just say smoking bans happen, God forbid, across you know the country in, in trade show areas, and so we don't really have a viable location to do it this size, then we have a means to continue on with with other um, in other avenues. So that is a goal, and that's a focus. It's taking us obviously some time to invest and get those up and going. But you're absolutely right, and that's another reason why the trade show does need to evolve. And again, you know, to Skip's point, crossbreeding pigs and chickens there with TPE, that's very true as far as that's concerned. My point in saying that is not that it's or yours, I don't think, and I'm not going to speak for you, Abe. But your point is, is that yes, we are very open to any solution that's going to benefit the PCA and the organization right now. Um, and I can say yes that the idea and was mentioned that you know, well, is there something along the lines of TP? That's kind of as far as it went, and it was just to your point of yes, all options are being considered right now. Right. I mean, look, even Kurt Kenkel jumped in, and you know, look, membership drive. Yeah, well, that's the answer. How do you get more members there? Stricter rules on being friends. 
and customers. Yeah, I'm not sure how much that's really a prolific problem of the current state of the affairs, right? Strict requirements on offering deals to members only at the show. Well, if Kurt could figure out how that could be done, he's a smarter man than anybody I've met because the pre-selling and the deals before the show. Kurt is a smart man, though. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a solution. <laughs> I don't think anybody can ultimately control it at the end of the day. You know, um, yeah. educating retailers and the quality retailers, yeah, that's a always a good thing, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, my favorite point about the whole thing is, is better bacon at the opening breakfast. <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean these these are things that that kind of aren't pivoting but need to be done but um <laughs> better bacon never hurts anything if you ask Craig <laughs> you can never go wrong with that. I'm sure true. he's watching can I ask you have you ever had bad bacon well, it's kind of like sex right even when it's bad it's still it's still good I mean, pizza I mean you know I don't think that there's better bacon and there's amazing bacon but I don't know if there's such yeah. a thing as bad bacon yeah, yeah. I, I think bacon. Yeah, sell, I so that's the key. Then I just we just do it with bacon. Add bacon. We just do it with bacon. It's one of the world's great products, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm leery of people who don't like bacon. It's like who people doesn't who doesn't like bacon. I, I know people that don't like bacon, and they're not vegans or vegetarians. That's they just don't like bacon. Yeah, I, I, and, and it's kind of like for me, people who don't like dogs. Right? Don't I mean, don't trust them. I, I, yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just leery about their, you know, mental state. You know, you don't like bacon and you don't like dogs. You know, I, I've and, never met anybody who doesn't like bacon. <laughs> oh well, I can introduce you to some. Well, you are weird and have weird uh, friends. I don't but, know if you are. But you know, <laughs> I don't know if I want the to one, meet him at this point. Then <laughs> the one question I have is, and and obviously maybe this I'll get some flack from the industry about this, but pretty sure you will. Yeah, but you know, I'm in a I'm in a different industry, kind of entirely in my day job, and and I go to shows all the time. And I've been going to trade shows for other brands that I've helped build and strategic uh, branding companies that I worked for. I, it seems this show is very, very focused on specific show deals, or at least that, that was the idea b- behind it. Other, show, other shows are not that. Even industry shows that I go to that are specifically focused on a certain type of the industry, I, deals are done there. We network with customers and, and publishers. We... We make deals there, but the show doesn't center around like going for specific deals. Is it? Is it? It's more uh, centered around like education, meeting meeting pillars of our of yeah. our industry. Where I sit and get to see Richard Branson speak uh, about advertising and how he built his business. Uh, of course, networking and sales and and business are a part of it. But the the show as a whole is more about the industry getting together and learning from one another. It's more an educational experience. And I know Glenn Loop chimed in and said that there are educational portions to the show. Uh, is Scott? Is that something that you guys think? I mean, is is it is, is it as simple as the show needs to go in a different direction? Abe, is that crazy? Uh, you know, I, I, we talked about this. I, I yeah. Don't, yeah, I don't know. We don't have new inventions. We've been making the same thing for five hundred years. I, so okay, so okay. It's not like something new is being introduced. All they do is give something. A different name. A different dress. Different name, different box, a different cigar band, different shape. But then again, Lou, you know what? I'll counter that, play devil's advocate. Guys like Risty coming out with a different product. I mean, it's it's an altered product. It's still the same thing. It's leaves bunched up in a a cigar. But, you know, the CBD cigar that he released. And there there are more maybe innovative additions to the the industry that, you know, 
I guess in, at the end of the day, affect, it's still the same it, it basic product. It doesn't affect it as, as a volatile level as other markets. I mean, you know, how many often times are you going to come up with something like that prevalent, like CBD, and say, oh, we could use this and add it, you know, whatever. Right. And then that also plays into a lot of the bigger problems of why we have, we're have dealing with FDA stuff. Right. Too. I, mean, I know it, that that's an argument as well. It's a very convoluted thing. And, I, and I'm sorry to our listeners because there's tons of questions and everybody, you know, we're not going to solve the world problems in a two-hour show. We're doing the best we can. Uh, here's an interesting question that I have for Lou, who may have the answer, because we talked a little bit about this earlier. Eleven. <laughs> the correct answer is oh my twelve. God. No. Uh, this comes from Rand- Randy Bush, one of our top fans. Do you believe that the big four will lose any market share by not attending on the show? On the flip side, will they gain any market share if by, they do by, by, by attending? Because one of the things that, that I was talking about, too, is this is a good opportunity for a lot of mid-level and smaller guys, if if, if attendance Jump can be maintained, there. right, or attendance can be drawn, grown, this is a good opportunity for a lot of guys who may have not been able to squeeze in and get the attention to get an opportunity to step up and, and have a better show. Do you think that this will hurt market share for the big four? Let's answer that one first. I think the big four are going to keep losing market share indefinitely because this is a strange industry where... All you need is some tobacco, a chavetta, and a table, and you can start manufacturing something And it's new. easier today now to get your right. brand out there than right. it ever was. The only place where you've never seen any new competitors Cigarettes. is in the mass market cigar business, which requires extraordinarily expensive machinery. Mm-hmm. And a lot of money. Right, and technicians and people to keep these machines running. But as far as making a handmade cigar, you could start one. You could start a... Handmade cigar company in your office, right and, on your desk there, and get it out there, yeah, very easily. So yeah. you think they're going to continue losing market share? They will continue to lose market so share. So with that being said, does not do you think not going to show is going to ultimately hurt them? No, I don't think it'll hurt them at all. It won't hurt them any more worse than what they're going through anyway. Right. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. How do you do? You, do you feel this is a good time for some of the smaller guys? Is it a good opportunity for them to seize the day of what's going on in the show? Uh, if I was a smaller guy, I'd be at the show, yeah. Right. That, now's the time more than ever, right. right? Yeah. You know, Scott, I got a question for you, because this is one of the things that, that, that kind of bothered me over the years, because I'm, I'm a kind of firmer believer. If you always look at the bottom line of things, uh, you, get, you tend to get in trouble. And one of my complaints about the show, right, and I'm sure pop, most of the decision-making is the bottom line, was, hey, let's sell as many booths, booths as we can. And I believe, like, growing a good tree or a bush, you know, things have to be pruned. I was always a yeah. proponent of limiting booth space, right? Booth space should be X number, maybe small, mid, big, mega, or whatever, but limiting the space because I think what happens over the years is there's, there's, there's a psychology to everything, right? And as this footprint keeps getting bigger and bigger, and attendance is even, say, maintained equally, the show just keeps looking deader and deader. And if I'm in a mid to small level guy, right, and... I'm at the trade show, and I haven't seen anybody walk in front of my booth. What I say to myself then is, wow, this show sucks. They're not bringing anybody here, right? Now, if the show's half the footprint, and there's bodies strolling all day, every day across me, and I'm still doing no business. My attitude is, wow, I suck. I got these people walking through. How do I get more of these guys to stop and say hi to me at my booth? I, I think part of the problem of the show is, is that it's, it's had such a, a, a psychology about it because the footprint has kept growing to an, an exorbitant size. And like Lou said, you know, he talked earlier about, uh, you know, the, some of these booths that just look completely empty because they're so ginormous. They're never going to look full. 
And then you go to some of these smaller guys, and their booze are always looking jumping and packed. You know, is, is, is there any plan, or is this even a concern or a thought about limiting the size of the, of the show? Because I know it, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? You want to create revenue. You create revenue by selling booze, but... But you could charge more for booth and have less booth space. There's a formula and there's an equation to everything, but I, I believe, I, I'm in your school, I think a smaller footprint creates for a healthier psychology of a show because a show won't look so barren. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about this, and uh, the RFP that we put out and the certain of the cities that we are looking at right now for the future of the show are smaller than the, than the sense for that reason. On the flip side, um, and, and I think that was Lou that just said that too, you know, we... Our, if you, the going rate for booth space in Las Vegas at the time it were there was about fifty percent more than what we charge because of of sort of the the nature of the trade show and the booths that are there, and so we also have to be fair to those companies, those big companies that have invested in, in you know recent years in building those out and allowing them an opportunity to to get that you know use value out of out of the current paradigm uh, for which they purchased the booth right. And so it, it comes down to kind of balancing those natures. But, yes, I can tell you that right now we are looking at new models of the trade show, um, particularly to your point, right, the larger the trade show floor, the more uh, empty, quote, unquote, it is going to feel. I was at a, an association event in summer where I was going and meeting with uh, a bunch of different uh, destinations to see if they had exhibit space that we could, that was, in fact, big enough and that we could smoke in. Uh, there were probably three to four times as many attendees at that event than you know, currently attend the PCA trade show. But that trade show floor was roughly about half the size of our trade show floor, and that still didn't feel like it was jam-packed all the time. So there is a lot of merit to that. Uh, I don't think that there's really an argument against that. It's just how do we how do we do it in a way, how do we transition in a way that does not put overdue burdens on people who lose investments in the booths and some of the other things that they've done because of the current paradigm of the trade show. Hmm. I got a question from Skip Martin for Lou, though Skip like spaced it over, across four different comments. Thanks, Skip. Of course he did. Okay. Now, <laughs> once, again, once again, Skip kind of exists in a reality that most of us don't, so I'm just going <laughs> to pose this question out there. Keystone margin has become the norm. Yeah, I don't know if it's become the norm. It's been the norm as far as I can remember. Is Keystone not been the norm for you since? No. Okay. So was it less than Keystone or more than Keystone? No, you... it was less than Keystone. Okay. So do you, in your opinion, do you know what happened or when? at what point did Keystone become the norm? Well, as, as they kept raising the price of cigars and coming out with, you know, cigars like Macanudo Vintage or whatever, they, they made those Keystone where it's. So the higher end cigars, right? If you bought, a, if you were buying a Macanudo Rothschild, it was not Keystone. It was twenty five, twelve, and two. Okay, which is uh, thirty eight point something percent. So basically, when manufacturers wanted to come out with a premium, right, and, and maybe sell it to you at a wholesale price that you thought was unheard of, their answer to that was, "Yeah, but you're going to make Keystone on exactly. it," and retailers right. got excited about right. it, and then eventually that became the norm. Uh, yes. Okay, so now he also says. With some retailers demanding as much as triple Keystone, which I, you know, I, I I've never heard it, I've never seen it, but you know, Skip, you know, you know, you may get it. People are asking there's, you for triple Keystone. Only in a strip club go, are you going to Let me just go back to one thing, which is <laughs> the mentality that's out there is is forcing prices to be higher than they're supposed to be, because right right now, what I see from most retailers is they they 
they have their costs, and then the state tobacco tax, whatever it might be. Right. And and then that's their keystone mark. In other words, they're keystoning the tax. They themselves are collecting as much money as the state of wherever state they're in. Well, by, by keystoning the tax as well. That's that's the second part of the question, Skip, because he didn't ask it all in one bubble. Uh, you notoriously built, I like his use of the word notoriously, uh, built a grew, uh, grew and grew a thriving business on much less. Do you think Keystone Margin is broadly sustainable in today's retail world? What do you say to the retailers who are unable or barely able to survive on less than Keystone Margins? I don't believe in margins at all. I just believe in net profit. So I would rather sell something and make a dollar than not sell it and make five and not make five dollars. Listen, we've had this discussion, yeah. you and I, before, but mm-hmm. the problem is if you want to sell something at a dollar, and, and, and you you have to do a lot more, and you have to find a way to do a lot more of it to sustain, right? Correct. That's why you should also be in the mail order business as well as the retail business. Okay. Well, not listen. Everybody it, can be no, in it. No, today, I know, today, no industry has one model. Yeah, but no I, industry has yeah, one model, right? There, that there, is a model. There are websites that set up everything for you. You don't have to do anything. I understand, Lou, but the, the, just like you talk about the mass market, right? To do what you're talking about doing, it's not just hey, I could set up in my garage. I can have the buying power to buy, so I could set, be able to sell at a mass market level and a website level because no one's going on the web pay ultra premium pricing. Most of the web shoppers are looking for deals because the guys who aren't concerned most of the time are going to the brick and mortar stores. They're paying the MSRP. The guys shopping on the web, for the most part, are looking for, and you know it better than I do, what's the best price I can get? What's the best deal I can get? But and they, that, they deserve it because... The people, I'm not saying they don't. But what I'm saying is not everybody can do that. You're saying oh, everybody should get in the mail order business. Not everybody no, has the ability to no. buy in that kind of scale to be in the mail order business. Crystal. The majority of people who buy cigars in cigar shops buying single cigars, whereas everybody who's just about everybody on the buying by mail or buying boxes and bundles of cigars. They're two separate businesses. Well, I mean, I think the answer to that and the answer, Skip, is I, I think there's an evolution of the tobacco shops, right? In the states where it's allowed, they're opening up bars with c- cigar shops. In the right. states that aren't allowed, I've seen other... Uh, sporting, sporting goods with cigar shops. I mean, the, 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 there may have to be an evolution process. Well, the um, manu- the well, manufacturers themselves have put retailers at a disadvantage. How? By launching so many products, they can't keep up with the. There's no sure. individual. There's no single. We had some of the biggest cigar stores ever built. You know, thirty thousand square feet cigar store. There's no way you can carry everything. Yeah, only only a mail order operation can carry everything. Well, listen, it, we, uh, it has been a phen- phenomenal show. Uh, Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for all the information you have given us today. Um, best of luck with your future endeavors, and hopefully you don't age another 30 years in the next, com- <laughs> next couple of weeks. And we'll keep in touch. Yes. We look no, for- thank you guys very much for yeah, having Scott. on. I really appreciate the opportunity. and appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, obviously, we couldn't get as much as we'd like to in today, but let's have you on again as things progress, and you can update our listeners as to what's going on in, uh, with the show. Fantastic. Anytime uh, you guys will have me, I'll be on. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Lou, thank you for being here today. It is always a pleasure, sir. Hopefully you will be on again soon because, well, we could just do three hours with the things you've done (laughs) in this world. Yeah, well, I'll come back anytime you want. Absolutely. That is fantastic. When, When you're not golfing. (laughs) 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, bu- or buying wine for Lavanda. Yes. yes. Oh, is Lavanda a big wine drinker? She like uh, wine? I mean, I mean, no, Lavanda, Lavanda she, you know, she's at night she'll drink wine. Oh, okay. Is she into wines or just, just drinking no, any wine? Okay. No. We just, my wife and I just did our first trip to Napa and we kind of got a little bit of the buzz and kind of got a little bit into more wine than just casual drinking lately and basically he's saying he's a pinkies up kind of guy ah, no, that's a one can't one who uh drink that's the way one who does it but um one who one who that's his new name oh, no, like, no. he sounds hawaiian one who <laughs> i expect him to come out with a ukulele now and, and a little you know do a little luau song. oh he's gonna be you in a grass skirt great and a coconut uh. bra Please, please, dear God. What was that please. famous Hawaiian singer, Don Ho? Don, Don, Don Ho, Ho, yeah. 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 <laughs> what was his song? Uh, Tiny Bubbles? Under the Rainbow? Tiny Bubbles? Yeah, but the Over the Rainbow? No, no, no. That, that's Kamala Kalawaka. I forget yeah, his name. That's Israel no, no, that was the 500-pound guy who... Yeah. Uh, Wasn't Don, yeah. Don Ho, didn't he do Tiny Bubbles? I don't Tiny know. Tiny Bubbles. Over the Rainbow was Judy Garland. The, originally, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it was <laughs> Tiny Bubbles, Don Ho. Okay. It might uh, be. <laughs> that's that's new one's new name Juan Ho. <laughs> uh, Juan the more you say it, Juan the funnier. The more, the more yes, it gets funnier. All right, yeah, let's, let's see it. this week it belongs in a cigar and say asylum. Welcome to the cigar asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. This week, it belongs to a cigar in San Asylum, brought to you by CLD and Asylum Cigars. This week's inductees need to be more selective as to where they spend their money. Gwyneth Paltrow has done it again, folks. The 47-year-old actress and serial lifestyle entrepreneur found another way to shock the world with the sale of a vagina... Did I read this right? Yes. Yes. I guess I should start pre-reading these more often. I didn't th- I a vagina-scented candle in her online goop store. That's what they call it. Mm-hmm. The candle provocatively named Smells Like My Vagina. Is this for real? Yes. Yes. I, I, did, I checked. It's oh, no, everywhere. No, no. It's everywhere. We'll yeah. run customers a cool $75 and boast a fragrance packed with geranium, citrusy bergamot, and cedar, according to the Daily Mail. Apparently, for the idea for the candle, made by Heretic, originally started out as a joke. As the product description reads, the candle started as a joke between perfumer Douglas Little and Gwyneth Paltrow. The two were working on a fragrance, and she blurted out, Oh, this smells like a vagina, but involved into a funny, gorgeous, sexy, and beautifully <laughs> unexpected scent. Goop describes the candle as funny, gorgeous, sexy, and... Well, you already said that. Thanks for repeating the word. Sorry. No, I'm, yeah. Apparently, Paltrow's lifestyle company is in onto something. The candle is currently sold out. Wow. Both on Goops and Heretics websites. Congratulations, consumers. You are, without a doubt, this week's inductee into the Cigar and Sale Asylum. Coop. Which one of my butt Coop. cheeks are you talking about? Lou, <laughs> do you want a vagina-scented candle? <laughs> you don't think Jr. could sell them? <laughs> vagina-scented candles. If you could get them, if you could get them real cheap. Yeah. Well, listen, folks, uh, we could have... Oh, yeah. We, we could have went longer in the show, but actually, uh, we Paul and I have a meeting with Mayor Giuliani. We have to run and meet with, and we might have some very. He's my mayor, or was yes, my mayor? We might have some very, we have America's with, mayor. Yes, yeah. we're going to run over and have a meeting with them, and I, we might have some exciting news for you by next week's show. Knock so, on wood. Yeah, one of the reasons we had to run out early, but uh, thanks for listening in. We hope we gave you guys somewhat of an educational show, and we learned a few things. Obviously, 
there wasn't we couldn't cover everything and get in depth, but we will be touching the topics again and lose around at least for another few months. So hopefully, as things progress, we'll have him back on and talk some more. So. Till then, and as always, next week, uh, Mickey Pegg, formerly of CAO. Oh, he's back in the business. He oh, is here. Yeah. You know, we'll talk few, all about it. One of the few oh. guys who got out, and you, you very seldom say a guy got out and doesn't come back in, right? Broken. He's back in the business. Keep it lit. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. <laughs> Cigar Fairy's making round. Yeah, that's fantastic. Keep it lit with KMA Talk Radio.